you only get one life. You only get one body. So how can I create a space where I can teach you how to be personally liberated? We cannot liberate anyone else. I don't care if you're black, white, Christian, whatever it may be. You cannot liberate anyone else until you start to liberate yourself. You're listening to Business Edge, the podcast for professionals looking to excel in the workforce. In each episode, our guests take a deep dive into their personal and professional experiences to give you an edge in the marketplace. This podcast is brought to you by Alpha Kappa Psi Professional Business Fraternity. Welcome back to another episode of the Business Edge podcast. I'm Chrissy Vasquez. And I'm Nicole Clem. We're so glad that you joined us today. And today we have Derek Fleming joining us. We're going to share a little bit about him and then we'll jump into the conversation. Yeah, we're really excited to have Derek with us. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Derek. So when you think of style and class, organization and structure, education and empowerment, equity and advocacy, Derek Fleming, also known as Derek the Gent, is the man to make it happen. As a former White House staff member under the Obama administration, now currently serving as the Managing Director of Strategic Engagement for Chicago Scholars, a social entrepreneur of the Just Be campaign, and serving in other national and local community education leadership capacities, Derek leads with a heart to serve and a passion for youth, collective impact, and systems change. Derek brings electrifying energy to any atmosphere, and with over 10 years of experience in the nonprofit and government sectors focusing on education, social impact, youth development, and mentorship, he has eight-plus years of project management, coaching, and training experience, and over six years of program and people management experience. Derek brings a level of problem-solving skills that sets everyone at ease and makes solutions-focused work feel like fun. Derek, we're so excited to have you with us today. I'm excited to be here. It's always funny to hear my bio being read. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Derek, my first question to you. So you went to Alabama State and you got your degree in communication. Tell us a little bit about how you found AKSI and why you thought it would be a good opportunity. Yeah, well, uh, for first, thank you all for having me on this morning, and I'm excited to have this conversation. Uh, When I first enrolled at ASU or Alabama State University in 2006, um, I saw a lot of amazing people on campus, and I saw this one organization uh, walking around just doing amazing things, always dressed up in a suit. Me coming from Chicago, you know, I was used to urban wear, um, and I didn't have the first time (laughs) seeing a lot of young professionals in suits and ties, and I kept an eye on them. And then my junior year, someone was like, hey, do you want to, you know, try out uh, for AKSI? And I did it and uh, I was initiated and it was a beautiful time. The brotherhood was something that I needed and to this day still hold strong um, with all my brothers um, when we went through that process. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing today and kind of how you got from those college days to where you are now with your fancy bow tie you've got on today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, As you mentioned, my undergrad is in TV and film. And at one point in my life, I thought I was moving to Hollywood and becoming the next Spike Lee in creating Mm. films. And, you know, when I graduated from undergrad, I'm like, hey, Derek, look at your resume. You only have two internships, you know, in TV and film, but you have a lot of experience in community and community, you know, education. And I tried my first year as a teacher and 
and I hated it. It's not that I hated teaching. I hated the U.S. way of educating our young people. So I took an internship at the White House that turned into a job. And hearing President Obama, you know, as I'm doing scheduling and advanced work, traveling around the country, talking about going back in your community, talking about grassroots, talking about being a part of the change, that solidified for me that that's what I wanted to do. And I went back to um, graduate school in 2013 and got my master's in nonprofit management um, and been working in the space in Chicago ever since. I thought I was going to go back to D.C. after I got my master's to return to the Obama administration, but I ended up staying in Chicago and been here um, almost 10 years um, back serving my community in various capacities. Um, I was a high school counselor for some time and then moved up to a regional supervisor. When Then I transitioned to the organization and now I'm a managing director overseeing strategic engagement. And my primary job is just to bring opportunities together to really meet the need of our unique young people here in Chicago and communities here in Chicago. Fantastic. Great. Thank you for sharing. So talk to us a little bit about the work of Chicago Scholars. Yeah, so we've been around 25 years. Uh, we are the largest college access organization here in Chicago, serving with 5,000 young people. Uh, we are one of the few organizations that does all three parts. So that's making sure young people get into college, through college, and into the workforce. Most times, organizations in our sector either does one or two of those. We do all three, which hence why we have 5,000 students in our program. And at the core of our work, it's about economic mobility. It's about leadership leadership development about belonging. We want to make sure first-generation, low-income students from various backgrounds and diverse identities have all the things they need to make sure they make the best informed decision in the college that they want to attend to. We want to make sure that they have the least amount of debt. So we are advising students for a four-year degree. You should not take out no more than twenty to 40000 for a four-year degree. I don't care what school you go to. If you're going to Harvard or a directional college, you should not be taking out a lot of um, debt, especially when we're dealing with majority black and brown youth. We want to make sure that we are setting them up for success. Um, as you can imagine, here in Chicago, we have a lot of um, injustices happening in the city, and we're trying to disrupt the um, uh, achievement and, and wealth gap here in Chicago. So how we do that in terms of making sure our students select the best match fit and financial fit institutions that's then going to allow them to go from college right into career. Fantastic. Wow. We've talked a lot on the podcast this season about how the landscape of higher education is changing. And so how is that impacting your work when you work with the students? Yeah. So there was a report that came out, I think, either early this year or last year that said there's up to a million less young people in college right now. So and then you also get Google and you have, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Apple, you have all these tech conglomerates doing some amazing work. They make an education different. You can go on YouTube and learn how to do amazing things. You can go to LinkedIn and Google and learn amazing things. So when you're talking about college, you really have to make sure that it's understanding like what is the ROI and in going to these institutions and taking out almost, you know, a quarter million dollars, you know, mm-hmm. to go to school. So when we think about the work we do at Chicago Scholars, the students we are serving, these are students that want to go to school. So we are admitting 600 mm-hmm. students every year into our program, and these 600 students want to go to college, and they have the ambition, they have the excitement, they know as first-generation low-income individuals that this is the, the path forward for them. So when we're talking about the, the importance of college, you know, right now um, with the pandemic going 
going on the job market is scarce you know depending on what you want to do so for some of our young people the best bet is for them to go to college right now gain the skills and we, we often say college is not just about the degree but it's about the leadership experience along the way while you're in school those essential skills those soft skills those networking those internship opportunities that really allow you to go into that job once you graduate our young people are making an average of 40 to 60k in their first position once they graduate so we are changing generations by making sure that they are not just mm -hmm. going to college but they're going to college least amount of debt to zero debt and coming out with a living sustainable wedge in order to move their futures and their families forward so if i'm hearing a little bit um it sounds like you're doing some financial literacy with them for them to be able to understand that because i know that's one thing that I feel like our country's missing tremendously, right? If you don't learn it in the household, you don't learn it anywhere else. And I think that's where a lot of um, a lot of our country's in some debt because you know they don't have that. So, do you guys do some financial literacy programming with them? Yes, it's a part of our core programming. So our core program is, of course, the college access and success work, but the other piece is leadership development. So there, and, and within our curriculum, there's a lot around financial literacy and there's about money management. Uh, we partner with some of the big banks around the nation that come in and, and give pro bono opportunities to our students to understand finances. So we're doing a lot of that work because a lot of times our students are going to school with full rise. So sometimes they're being paid to go to school. So if you're getting a check compared to some students that just have to fight to get the money to go, we want to make sure they're navigating those finances. So yes, financial literacy is very big uh, for us as well. Mm -hmm. That's great. That is so important, I think, right now, especially with college being as expensive as it is. It really, really is fantastic. You've been listening to Business Edge, brought to you by Alpha Kappa Psi, professional business fraternity, and sponsored by Synergos, association management company. Now let's get back to the conversation. I want to back up a bit. You know, you mentioned being a White House staffer in the Obama administration. Of course, we have to ask a little bit Absolutely. about that. And and we'll tie it in to the leadership piece. Obviously, you know, professional development leadership is something we talk about a lot here at AKSI. And um, I'd love to know, you know, how that experience shaped how you, you know, define leadership. I obviously working for the the leader of the free world for some time. How did that shape, you know, how how you look to leadership and how you feel about leadership and how that reflects how you, you know, educate your young people today? Yeah, um, that experience a year out there about a year and a half, almost two years. And it was transformational. I mean, imagine, you know, um, working for the first black president or any president mm -hmm. at 24, 25 years yeah. old. Uh, I had a, a friend from college who did the internship two years prior and it turned into a job. He's like, hey, Derek, you know, I know you are trying to figure out your next steps. Maybe you should try this opportunity. And I applied for, uh, as an intern and interned for four months. And then I turned into a job where I was an advanced associate um, traveling around the country doing government logistics. So imagine anytime the president goes into any city or country, there's a team of seven to 20 people going ahead of the president to make sure that city can get them in and out smoothly. So you're wow. working with mayor, uh, uh, military officials, and you're telling mm -hmm. them what to do with the city for yeah. a short period of time uh, to get the president in. So I was able to do that uh, for about a year and a half traveling around the country. And I think for me, um, what, what it did was taught me um, 
project management, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and I didn't even know at that time that was the phrase. It was a few years later that I learned that project management was a real thing. Um, and also, what does it mean to communicate effectively? you know, to different stakeholders. When you're talking to mayor and military officials, they communicate a certain type of way. And then also mm-hmm. they're protective about coming into the city and navigating, you know, what needs to happen there. Um, so that experience transformed my life. And I think one of the biggest takeaways that I have from that experience um, before I became a staffer and was an intern, um, a lot of upper staffers, the senior leaders of the organization would bring up interns into a room and they would say, hey, don't come in here trying to suck up and kiss up to all the big wigs. Get to know the people that's in your internship class because those mm-hmm. are the next presidents. Those are the ah. next senators. Those are the next ones that, you know, that's going to uh, move alongside you in this space. And even to this day, I always believe that make sure you network with all three levels of people. Um, you want to make sure you're networking with the big wigs because we want to make sure we get those doors open. But you also have to network with the people that's at your same level as well because they're walking side by side with you. And then you also want to network with what I call your humble keepers, the people that helped mm-hmm. you get there along the way. They may not be where you are, but they're still cheering you on along the way. So don't forget about them. I often say those are the people that keep me humble in doing this work because sometimes when you're you know, giving a clap on the back you know, or saying good job, you forget like what I got you to that place. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people when you're in these spaces, make sure you network at all three levels and not just one. Oh, that's great advice. Yeah. And Chrissy and I have talked about that too on the podcast about, you know, networking and, and helping out others as well who aren't in the place you are. And mm-hmm. if somebody asks for a coffee, take that coffee and help them out because you might be working for them one day. You just exactly. don't know. Exactly. Absolutely. And when you were talking about that, it even makes me think about, you know, some of the best CEOs have said they know who is taking care of their building. So they know the yep. maintenance people by name. They know the housekeeping by name and that kind yep. of stays in mind too. So did you actually get to meet the president? Yeah. So one time uh, I saw him many times, but one time he spoke uh, uh, at an event in Washington, D.C. I believe it was at the Holocaust Museum. And it was another staffer that was supposed to prep him before he went on stage to tell him like, where to stand, you know, what to do, mm-hmm. you know, every, everyone has a job. So the speechwriter's telling them what to say. Then someone's telling him like how to stand and where to look. And the person that was supposed to do it could not be found. Like, hey, Derek, uh, you're the second in <laughs> Come and tell President Obama where he's supposed to uh, uh, stand. And, you know, and at that time I had been around him or in the space with him a few times, but I mm-hmm. never had like a direct conversation. It's not, mm-hmm. And it's not even a conversation, it's more so telling the president what to do. Right. Uh, so that was, a, that was a pretty cool experience. I will never forget that. Uh, yeah, so that's probably one of the most memorable experience outside of just being in the space uh, with him many times. Amazing. I bet that was just a really cool, inspiring just to be in his presence. It was. I mean, and it's been so ironic. Even since the times when I worked at the White House, every job I've had since then has had some connection to the Obamas. Oh, okay. At my previous organization, um, Youth Guide is Becoming a Man. His top organization, he selected when he first launched My Brother's Keeper. Um, mm-hmm. At my current organization, our previous CEO was a part of the inaugural Obama Fellow class. So I went, and, and, and in most recent years, I'm a, a community member, a part of My Brother's Keeper connected to the Obama foundation. So even though, you know, I, I once worked with him, I've still been connected to the Obama work um, over the past 10 years. 
Oh, that's really cool. And I think that brings up a point, and Nicole even made it too, is that you just never know where your your paths are going to cross with people later in life. And uh-huh. so it's always, you know, to be on good terms with people is always the best policy. <laughs> life is nothing but a circle of lessons and opportunities. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you never know when you're talking with somebody that knows somebody else. And so you have to just really watch what you say and also be authentic and who you are. And so I think that's a good tie-in to tell us about the Just Be campaign. Yes. Uh, Wow. I didn't expect you out of X about that. So I'm excited that you did. Uh, (laughs) So the Just Be campaign was really birthed out of a lot of different things. In 2019, um, as someone that has multiple identities, I identify as an openly gay, Black, gay Christian male. And it took me a long time to get to a place to be able to say that openly. And I remember at that time, Alicia Keys, you know, the singer, if you all know her, released a video Mm -hmm. of her son wanted to wear fingernail polish. And the way social media lit into this young black boy about wanting to just be his creative self. It had nothing to do about sexual orientation. It had nothing to do about wanting to be more feminine. It had everything to do about wanting to be more creative. And I started a talk series in 2019 called Redefining Masculinity. And I did that all the way up until the pandemic um, hit. Um, I did about four sessions where I brought um, black and brown and gay and straight christian and non-christian men into a space of honest conversation about what does it mean to redefine masculinity and toxic masculinity and then the pandemic hit and a lot of things was happening and you know our asian brothers and sisters were being targeted because of the you know the covid 19. um we saw our uptake of a misogyny against women and spaces and trying to you know control what they do with their bodies when it comes to um uh, uh childcare and birthrights and things like that. And I'm just tired of everyone trying to control how people should be. How how can we create a world where you can honestly just be yourself? And that's when the Just Be campaign was birthed. And there truly is a campaign to really allow all humans to live their authentic, transparent, honest selves, what I call putting on your hat. Honesty, authenticity, and transparency. How can we create a world that regardless of how you identify, how you show up, how you choose to live, that you can live together. It should not matter how you feel about someone, but how you respect them. And, and the quote that I often say, when when the collective, meaning every human person on this earth, chooses to live their authentic life, we start to show a respective difference looks like. And the Just Be campaign is truly out here um, trying to empower people to live your honest and bold self. You only get one life. You only get one body. Mm-hmm. So how can I create a space where I can teach you how to be personally liberated. We cannot liberate anyone else. I don't care if you're black, white, Christian, whatever, maybe you cannot liberate anyone else until you start to liberate yourself. So that is the Just Be campaign. Nice. Thank you for sharing. That's That's really awesome. I um, commend you for your courage. That's really courageous to take that out there and take that message to people. I saw that we have something in common. We both went through the DEI in the workplace certificate program from South Florida. And just yes. curious real quick before I turn it over to Nicole, because I know I've been asking a lot of questions. Oh, today, that's fine. Go for What it. your impressions were of that program. I I loved it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't know what I was going to get in. I almost missed mm-hmm. the deadline to register. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was toying between the University of South Florida program or the program over at Cornell University. And I was like, well, the one at Cornell, you got to pay. So let me see how, what the free one looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I've done both, actually. I did the paid one first at Cornell, and then I did that one. <laughs> okay. Well, I would, yeah. I, love, I would love to hear about the Cornell one. Yeah. Uh, 
But the one that uh, USF was amazing. I think the speakers, mm-hmm. the way they brought it together. I think that the number one session I loved the most was the one on accessibility. I did not mm-hmm. know how much I did not oh, know about no accessibility. Oh my um, goodness. Yep. The chief accessibility officer from Microsoft, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still quoting and still looking at her notes. Yep. Um, yeah. everything she said. I didn't even think about, I mean, ever since then, the way we engage people on Zoom has changed. The way mm-hmm. we have reorganized our offices has changed. The way I That's show great. up as, as you know, as someone that manages many spaces, you know, throughout the nation, um, how can I make sure we're truly looking at accessibility beyond the physical, but the mental, the technology, mm-hmm. all the different things. So I truly enjoyed that program. And for me, the, the session on accessibility was the top one that I, I took away with. Yeah, you're very right. It was things that I never thought about. And I feel like I'm a pretty inclusive person. And I was like, Oh, boy, I, haven't, I have not even been not have been on my radar. And I really liked about how they talked about psychological safety in the workplace. I think yes. that's so key too. yeah, I really commend the university for offering for the listeners. It was a free certificate in DEI in the workplace. I think it was six or eight weeks. And they had speakers mm-hmm. like Tony Dungy was a speaker like they yes. had some really powerful people. They also had a lot of local South Florida businesses. And like you said, Microsoft, and they just did a really nice job with it. And it was really cool that it was free for everybody who registered. I think they had 150,000. Yeah, they did. They did. And all you have to do is commit to the eight weeks and finish all the work. I just found out that you could take it now for $99. So if you missed it yes, the first time yes. for free, yep. invest the $99 and take it. Yes, I agree. Great program. I'm going to need to check that out because now I'm the only one in the room, apparently, who hasn't done it. <laughs> Our producer, Finn, over here Get has on also it, done it. Uh, I think that that's great to call out, too, is, you know, like Chrissy said, I thought I was a pretty inclusive person, but I didn't know this or that. Like, Same. Mm-hmm. We can all learn something new, you know, even if we think, oh, yeah, I'm all about it. I'm inclusive. You can always learn a perspective that you didn't have before. So that's fantastic. That program sounds amazing. Speaking of inclusion, Derek, talk a little bit about with our our listeners, a lot of young professionals or those still in college getting ready to join the workforce. How can they contribute to to building more inclusive workplaces? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the first step is identifying how you want to show up in the space. You know, I, I think we talk about this DEI work, this inclusion work, this respective difference work. If you haven't done your own work to know your biases, if you haven't done your own work to know what you need to show up in these spaces, you don't know what to look for to advocate in the spaces that you enter. Um, we are living in a world right now where DEI, um, anti-racism, anti-misogyny, all these buzzwords are popular. And it's great. And I'm excited. I see the change happening across the landscape. Some change is easier in some places and some are still struggling to come along the way. But I think the number one thing we have to realize is that at some point, another hot topic is going to come through. And anti-racism, anti-misogyny, DEI would not be the hot topic. doesn't mean it's still not happening. That means the newest craze is out in the space. So for young professionals coming into these spaces, especially the Gen Zers who I love, who are radical people tearing down all the different things and making new spaces, we have to understand how do we navigate these spaces. Not every space is ready for all the change. And I'm not saying we have to conform. I'm not saying we have to uh, go along the way, but we have to understand how do we navigate the space to really make the change that you want. I would love to go into every room and wave my gay flag or wave my Christian flag or wave my man flag, but I cannot because there are thousands of people that I'm carrying along with me as I enter that space. So if I'm going into a space and my primary goal right now is to get 
5,000 students, I mean, or about 600 annually into college and about 3,000 through college and 1,000 into jobs. How do I make sure I'm going to those spaces, truly advocating for the unique identities of those spaces, but then also understand like those spaces they're trying to enter to may not be ready. So there has to be levels of accountability. There has to be levels of understanding and negotiations along the way. So I think that's the, the part of it. Sometimes you want to run in and tear all the things down right away. And I'm here for it. Like, and sometimes that is needed. That's called agitation and agitators. We need those in the space, but we also need orchestrators. We also need innovators in the space. So understand what is your role in navigating the DEI landscape? Um, are you an orchestrator? Are you an agitator? Are you an innovator? You know, are, are you an infiltrator? I often coin myself as an infiltrator. Yeah, I know how to navigate the space. I know how to play the game. And sometimes I, I may not um, advocate on that thing right away, but once I'm in that room, once I'm at that table, please know I am screaming to the mountaintops. No, you should not do that. Um, so you have to, so you have, I guess it's saying understanding the game and understand how to navigate it. That's great. Thank you. So you mentioned kind of your experience during the pandemic a little bit, and we've been talking with most of our guests lately about this topic of this great resignation that we've seen with people mm. leaving their careers or you know leaving college or deciding you know to go back to college or changing their career path completely. What have you seen within your work and and how do you kind of see that changing the future of work and and how especially young professionals will kind of approach their career and and building a career that that will be engaging for them? I think it's a both a, an exciting and a troublesome time to be in. You know, I think the you know exciting part is that people are getting more aligned with their passions and their personal missions in life. You know, I, I made a career shift. I'm still in the nonprofit sector, but I've been in programs working directly with young people the past ten years. And at the height of 2020, I was like, I love doing this work. I love you know creating programs and opportunities for young people, but that's not doing enough. It's not changing the root cause. That's you know with some of these you know situations. And we think about the nonprofit sector when it was first founded in Europe and all of that. It was meant to be temporary, but it was meant to just help people get out of the ruts or the situations that they're in. But we have learned how to capitalize on people's pain, hurt, and, and, and poverty. So now the work that I'm doing now is how can we work together across sector, across fields, across organizations, across company to solve the root cause that's affecting our communities. So when I think about the great resonation, the exciting part is that people are understanding where do I need to realign my work, my mission, my passions. But then the other part of it is there's some gaps with people that's transitioning out. There's a teacher shortage. You know, we have right now. So not enough people out there educating our people. There's an airplane worker and, and, and pilot shortage. <laughs> you know, we don't have enough people able to fly planes around the world. So there's there's some gaps in the space, but that also points out some barriers we had as an organization. We think about aviation for the longest has been dominated by um, a majority white men and not saying that's the wrong thing, but it hasn't done a lot of work around diversity to bring in diverse people in that space as well. We think about education has been predominantly women in that space and we have not done enough work to bring men into education space and also at paying equitable wages for our people that work in those spaces so it also pointed out like there are some issues in some of these careers where people are not properly being paid or being misused and overworked um so i think you know 
definitely is, is hurting some spaces. But then you also have, you know, um, you know, corporations and organizations are paying fifteen dollars an hour, eighteen dollars an hour to flip burgers and fried fries. So that, you know, some people are going to do that work because it's you know it's less stressful, you know, <laughs> than you know working a stress job. So I think people are really weighing the opportunities of how they want to show up in these spaces, really navigate, which is exciting. But then also there's some careers that's really you know fumbling along the way. The tech industry and NFTs and everything with the metaverse is skyrocketing. And that's the number one sector right now, you know, in terms of the new opportunities there, but there still still lacks diversity in those spaces as well. Healthcare is on the rise. P- unfortunately, people are getting sick and dying every day. So that was never going to go out the way. But how do we bring more diversity into healthcare, whether it's medical or nurses or, you know, billing and coding and different things like that. So I think there's a lot of opportunity. But like I mentioned, earlier, if you have not done the work to understand how you want to show up in the world, you're going to make some mistakes or go down some paths and then pivot again and pivot again until you show up where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're hearing the same thing mm-hmm. from everyone. It's just, it's kind of been an eye-opening time and it's it's laying bare some of the, like you said, the systemic problems in these mm-hmm. institutions and mm-hmm teachers not being paid enough, pilots being overworked, and then not having, again, like you said, the diversity that we need in those in those industries. Yeah, I think you brought up a really great point about not having the diversity. You said, you know, not a lot of male teachers. I was a nonprofit fundraiser for 20 years, and it's usually white women that are fundraising. Yeah. And yep. we try so hard as a group. I was a part of the local um, association of AFP, which is Association of Fundraising Professionals. And it was like, how do we bring people into the industry. We want people that are diverse, but a lot of times people join either, you know, people that they see, they see themselves Mm -hmm. and other people. And so we talked about, we've got to get even into the high schools to start planting that seed with people then of this is a career path for you. Yeah. Exposure is key. Yeah. Huge challenge with not an easy fix by any means. And yeah, I think there's a lot of people that are just overworked and burnt out and you know, I, I think that's the blessing and the curse of virtual workspace. You don't have that commute, but most people end up working more hours because you don't have that commute. You get on the computer at seven instead of, you know, 830 and, yep. oh, it's yep. seven o'clock. I guess I better go feed the dogs and the kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so I think it's time for our signature question here. So our signature question on the Business Edge podcast is tell us about a time your personal values have been challenged. What was the situation and how did you approach it? Yeah, um, I sat with this question a lot when you all shared it with me and I'm like, what can I what can I share? And so I, I thought about a situation in 2017. 2017 was truly a pivotal time in my career. I quit my job um, at that time. Mm. And the reason I quit my job, um, I saw a gap in programming. And I am someone, I just can't work to do the work, but I'm making sure that we truly have a a through line for success for young people and communities. Um, And I saw a gap in programming and uh, four months prior, well, maybe six months prior from, before me quitting, I brought my manager and program director into a room and said, hey, um, I have a pitch that I would love to give you about a hybrid position that's kind of meeting some of these gaps uh, you know, that I see in programming. And here's the salary I would love to attain in having this position. 
Uh, well, four months after that, you know, pitch, um, they invited me back to a meeting and they made the position, but it wasn't at the salary that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I respectfully declined the position and a few weeks later put up my two week notice. Um, and at that time, it wasn't a, a situation around um, the job. I was going through a lot of professional coaching around my worth. And how I'm showing up in the workplace and being valued, you know, in terms of what are you bring to the table um, and understanding how to how to navigate the nonprofit sector to at least try to get the salary that you want to um, be able to live. Um, and I was excited that the, the role was created and they found the opportunity to be able to fill those gaps. But what I learned is that sometimes when you when you advocate for certain things and you may get it, you may not be the one that's going to walk it all the way through the finish line. You may not be the mm-hmm. one that's going to lead it. So me advocating for that position and it being created was awesome because the young people got what they wanted, but I wasn't the one that was meant to serve in that position. Uh, and I think sometimes we have to be humble enough to know, like, you may fight for one thing and it may come to be, and that's totally okay, but you may not be the one to walk it all the way through. Mm-hmm. Since then, they they you know they started that position and it turned into an entire post-secondary department, all something I advocated for about five years ago. And then, and what I gained along the way, I launched a business along the way, and I was able to pivot into an organization that really able to afford me the salary that I wanted and the opportunities that I wanted. So I think the biggest thing away is like understanding your worth and your self-worth mm-hmm. and, and understanding it's okay to pivot, even if you do get part of it, but you may not be the one to take it all the way through the finish line. Oh, that's a really that's a really great lesson because yeah. I feel like that happens all over in the workplace or in your volunteer work, um, and it goes back to your whole point about also thank the people that got you there. So I yep. hope that they recognize that this was an idea birthed by you, even though you weren't the one to see it through. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's absolutely, great. yeah. Well, we have enjoyed our conversation with you. Thank you for doing the good work in this world. Um, we really appreciate it and proud to have you as a part of our brotherhood. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was truly a joy um, to give back to an organization that given so much to me. Thank awesome. you. Thank you, Derek. Thanks for listening to Business Edge. If you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions for us, email businessedge at akside.org.